This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Well, this morning we are in between preaching series. Uh, we, we recently completed a series in the book of 1 Peter, which we went verse by verse through the, the letter of 1 Peter. Uh, Pastor Jeff is going to be kicking off a new series next week that we're looking forward to getting into. But be, before we get into that, we want to spend some time in Jeremiah 29. We have just spent several months going through the, the letter of, of 1 Peter, which the, the central theme is that as followers of Jesus, we are exiles on this earth. Since he is not from here, ultimately, we are to think of ourselves as, as not from here, but only passing through. And yet as we pass through this life, God does not want us to pass by this life. As exiles, he wants us to, to leave an imprint on the, the places he has put us. So before moving into our next series, we want to tease this theme out once more by seeing how God called the Israelites to engage in the place they lived during their exile. In our text this morning, the, the prophet Jeremiah delivers a, a message from God to the people who had recently gone into exile. They've been taken from their home in Jerusalem to roughly a thousand miles away to the, the city of Babylon. And as they're, they're living on the outskirts of the city, kind of pondering what's next, wondering how they live out this exile in this place they now find themselves in, it's here, it's here that God meets them with some surprising words of instruction. In his words, we too can find instruction and encouragement for our own exile in the place we find ourselves living. The title of this morning's message is God's purpose for our place. Would you read with me now in Jeremiah 29? We'll be reading verses 4 through 7. Here's what the letter that God sent to Israel says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God bless the reading, now the preaching of his word. Recently over the, the summer, we had, my mother-in-law was, was visiting with us for a, a few weeks, and one day she was sitting in our living room, and she was watching some Netflix and kind of just hanging out, and um, she was watching the, the movie Terminal, or The Terminal, anyone remember that movie? Show of hands. Uh, this was a movie from back in 2004, you had Tom Hanks, who was uh, starred as Victor Navorsky. If you remember, Victor was a, a guy from an Eastern European country called Krakosia. And as, as, as Tom Hanks, or as Victor, is flying over to, to New York City for a visit, his country experiences a military coup. And when he lands in JFK Airport, turns out he, really, the, the country he left no longer exists. 
And because of that, he no longer has a valid passport to be able to get into the United States. Victor finds himself in exile in the JFK airport. And this is one of the, those movies that I, I heard about it for, for years, but never really wanted to, to watch it. I'm someone that can, can struggle with uh, feeling claustrophobic, and the idea of being trapped in an airport for, for months just seemed like my, my worst nightmare, so I've avoided watching the movie. Uh, but as my mother-in-law was sitting there watching it, I started kind of listening in, and before you knew it, I was sitting right next to her in the living room watching it with her. And, and, and what I, I found so compelling about this, this movie was the way Victor lives despite his exile. Rather than just sitting around waiting for his, his problem to get resolved and for his, his exile to, to come to an end, Victor essentially makes himself at home. This is, is just what makes the movie so, so fun to watch. Victor finds himself a job. He starts putting back carts and he'll collect the money he gets when, when he puts the, the carts back. Uh, Victor goes to work to, to learn the English language so he's able to communicate with, with those around him creates a little makeshift house for himself. See, Victor, he's just walking around in his, his bathrobe in the airport. He makes himself comfortable. The, the, the workers at the airport become Victor's friends and, and his, his neighbors. He, he jumps right into community. And, and we see when it comes time for Victor to leave, and, and here's a little spoiler alert, though you've, you've literally had 20 years to, to watch this movie, so don't, don't feel bad ruining it for you here. Victor has made a tremendous impact on this, this temporary home of his. He's made a, a difference in the lives of, of those around him. This is what our text is calling us to this morning. It's calling us to, like Victor, to, to think differently about the place of our exile. It's calling us to, to ask ourselves the question, how do I live in such a, a way that the, the place I find myself living in is blessed by the way I choose to live, despite the fact that I'm in exile, that this isn't ultimately my forever home? And as I, I watched the movie, I, I thought, how, how different would my reaction have been, right? The, the movie would have been comprised of every one of my attempts to, to break out of the, the JFK airport. You know, it'd be me sitting there for, you know, however many months it was, nine months, just complaining for nine months straight about how bad my circumstances were, how hard life was in this place. And you, you see, it's, it's easy to approach where we live with, with either or one of, of two mentalities. You can either have a, a prisoner mentality, you know, th this is kind of where I'm, I'm stuck, right? Look at, look at all that's wrong around me. Maybe there is legitimate wrong around us. We, we do live in a, a, a broken world. We, we live in a, a broken place. city where we, we live, while there, there's much good, there's, there's also much that's, that's wrong with it. Some may approach where they, they, they live with this mentality of, I just want to move out. I, I feel like this city's a prison. I, I need to escape. Or, or we can approach where we live with sort of a, a tourist mentality. Let me just see what I can get from this, this place. You know, there, there's also many benefits to, to living here in the city. And we, we can view it as, well, well, this city kind of exists, this place exists to meet my needs. And as long as it's doing that, we're, we're good. But, but if things start to get difficult, well, I, I didn't, this isn't what I signed up for. It's like being at a, a resort, right? Everyone and everything around me exists to, to make me happy. This place exists for 
for my pleasure, right? Everyone's kind of just a, a character in my story. Yet here in the book of Jeremiah, God tells the people of Israel their life of exile is meant to look different. We're part of the story he's writing. They're to reject a prisoner mentality. They're to reject a a tourist mentality, but rather they are to take on a servant mentality. They are to serve the city they find themselves in. He calls us to this as well. Here's the big idea we want to look at this morning. God has powerful purposes for the places he puts his people. Say that one more time. God has powerful purposes for the places he puts his people. And God fulfills these purposes as we live out our calling to serve the place we find ourselves exiled in. We want to look at three ways we do this from our our text this morning. Three ways we're called to serve where God has, has placed us. So let's look at point number one. Point number one, we are called to have vision for where God has placed us called to have vision for where God has placed us. Verse 4, where our text opens, we see the Lord addresses the people of Israel. And the, the first thing he does is remind them why they are where they are. It would be so easy for them to miss this. Here you have the, the people of Israel finding themselves in some of the, the most difficult of circumstances. They've been defeated. They've been taken captive. Essentially, they're They're prisoners of of war. And yet the the Lord wants to remind them that they're not there ultimately because of the the power of the Babylonian army. They're not there because they just happen to have bad luck or they're they're the Israelites that kind of drew the the short straw when the Babylonians were trying to figure out which ones to take captive and which ones to not. At, At the bottom of it all, God says, you're there because I sent you. Look with me, verse 4. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Babylon. God wants to reorient their vision for why they are where they are. They're, they're there because he sent them there. And, and, and he has bigger reasons for them being there than, than they ever realized He sent them to to seek the the welfare of the city that that they find themselves in, the city that he has sent them to. And we we see this in in verse 7, and we'll we'll talk about what that means in in just a little bit. He has has bigger purposes for them than than just themselves. He sent them to to be a blessing to others. You you know, there there may be any number of reasons why, why you find yourself living where, where God has you. Some of you are, are here in Philly because you're born and raised, right? Uh, some of you may be here because God sent you th- through work or, or through college. Uh, maybe there were even challenging circumstances that, that brought you here, or even, maybe even sinful reasons that, that drew you to, to where you, you live. But here's the thing, no matter how you've gotten here, no matter what your circumstances are. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, you're one who has been placed where you are because God has sent you here and he desires to use you to share his love with those around you. Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 21 says that the Father has sent me, even so I am sending 
you. Sometimes that sending may look like moving somewhere intentionally for the sake of the gospel. Right? Some of us moved here to the city seven, eight years ago to help plant the church. Sometimes that, that might just look like God orchestrating your life behind the scenes and you're here because God used other ways to, to get you here. But, but friends, know this, whether you came here for mission purposes or, or for some other reason, God has mission purposes for you. He has sent us to this place. And that's what the Israelites were being reminded of. Be, being sent out on mission wasn't on their radar, but, but God had other plans other purposes and God calls us to see that to have vision for that to allow that to to reorient our perspective of why we are where we are God wants us to have a clear vision that we've been sent here he also wants us to have a clear vision of the one who sent us notice how he opens his letter in verse four reminding them of, of who he is he says thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel. If you, you think about it and, and, and put yourself in the, the exile shoes for a moment, you ever, you ever notice how the, the challenges in our lives can just be just so, so big? They can be so all-consuming. And, and to the, the Israelites, this, this would have been, this, this challenge in their life would have been the, the Babylonian people, right? These are, are the ones who had taken them captive, and, and, and these people were, were so powerful, this, this was the, the military superpower of the day. These are the ones that essentially had defeated them and ripped them from their homes. And, and, and what God is doing here is he, he's reminding them of who he is. While, while they're, they're tempted to see the, the Babylonians as, as all-powerful, he, he's reminding them that there is one who is far more powerful, and he's the reason they're there. He refers to himself as the, the Lord of hosts. This, this, this title of God literally means Lord of armies. This is a, a title that reminds the, the Israelites of God's infinite power and his, his unlimited resources. In ancient times, and really even today, a, a ruler's power was judged by the, the size of their army. Right? God reminds them, I am the, the Lord of hosts. The, the army of heaven is mine. Yeah, you, you, the, the mighty angels, the ones when humans see them just fall at their, on their faces in terror. Yeah, that, that, that's who my army's filled with. They're the ones who are, are doing my bidding. I am in control. I am the all-powerful one. And friends, as, as we live out our exiles, our, our Christian lives in the places that God has us, we, we need this reminder as well. If I'm being honest over the the past few years, I feel like I can in some way relate to probably how the, the Israelites were, were feeling here. There, there have been moments where I am just, you know, I just find myself so aware of the power of, of, of the surrounding culture, right? Where it just seems too powerful, where it seems like darkness is getting the upper hand. So I've seen people I, I, I love just seem to be overcome by this darkness, and it's just... I've asked the question, Lord, Lord, do we stand a chance? Is, is, is what we're up against just too strong? I feel like we're, we're, we're swimming against the current, and at times it's just I see people I love just go get caught up with the current, and, and off they go. Can't match the, the power of the darkness around me. 
God says, you don't have to. Remember who sent you. I am the Lord of hosts, the all-powerful one. I send you out on my mission with my resources, my power to accomplish my purposes. I'm reminded of the, the hymn that, that we, we sing often here uh, by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This is a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Around us mortal ills are, are prevailing and we're not equal to the strength of the, the foe that we're up against. Listen to what the next verse says. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. It's a Greek translation of Lord of hosts. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Lord of hosts is the one who has sent us, and he must win the battle. Friends, we need a clear vision that we have been sent, and we need a, a clear vision of the one who has sent us, knowing he is the one that must win the battle for us. He is the one that must bring light to the darkness around us. And because he has sent us, when we, we face the challenges that, that we'll face that make us want to just kind of pack it up and, and leave, we're able to, to stay. We're able to, to take root. And this leads us to our second point. We are called to live rooted where God has placed us. Point number two, we are called to live rooted where God has placed us. One of the major challenges that the, the people of Israel faced was just figuring out, just how do I relate to this new place that I, I find myself in? You know, we're, we're, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're, we're surrounded by people that, that don't believe what we believe. We're, we're no longer in a nation under God's rule. Back in Israel, if someone built an idol, we had the right to go over and rip the idol down, right? If people were, were worshiping false gods. There, there were punishments for this. And yet now we're surrounded by people who don't worship the God of Israel. They, they, were, they were surrounded by idols. How, how, do, how do we navigate this, this new place we live? Life in exile is, is different. And this is what God tells them to do. Look with me at verses 5 through 7. He tells them to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that you may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He tells them to put down roots, to be part of the city. This would, this would have been shocking to them. They, 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 they were probably expecting to say, just, just stay away from those people. Keep to yourselves. You know, adopt what, what we could call kind of the, the holy huddle approach. Just stay around other people like you. Stay in the city, but, but you know, do everything by yourselves. You know, seek, seek your own welfare, not the welfare of the city. This is at times how, how Christians have, have wrongly engaged their, their places. 
right? We'll, we'll do everything the city does, but, but we'll do it with Christians and, and for Christians, right? We'll, we'll open Christian coffee shops, maybe a Christian gym. We'll have church or Bible study every night of the, the week to, to keep us busy. We'll be friendly. We'll, we'll, we'll be polite. We're not going to cause any, any trouble, but, but we're, we're keeping to ourselves. We're, we're staying away from the, the world around us. Apostle Paul corrects this way of thinking in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, when he says to you, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, God's not calling us to do this. He wants us engaged with, with those around us. But it's, it's easy to fall into this, right? We, we like to be around people that are, are like us. This is one of the reasons we as a church purposely are careful not to have something going on every night of the week where people can just be at church every night of the week. We, we want there to be time to be with, with our neighbors, get to know them. And we're all kind of learning how to socialize again post-COVID, but we, we, we want to be part of the, the life of our, our city probably heard us talk about kitchen table ministry. We, we, we want to be a, a church where we, we spend time with each other at our, our, our kitchen tables, which is really just a, a meta, metaphor for the, the intimate places of our, our lives, places where we let our, our close friends in. And, and we need this with one another, and yet we also need this with our, our neighbors. God has sent us to this place to have an impact on on people around us, and we, and we can't do that without spending time with those around us. We have time for that, not, not just for those in church, but also our neighbors also. Perhaps a, another approach some of the Israelites would have taken would just, just to be, uh, just mentally to, to check out, right? We, we see, uh, if you look in our, our chapter in verse 8, there, there were prophets that were actually telling God's people that this exile wasn't going to last very long. They're false prophets. And because of that, they'd be tempted to just think, oh, this, this is short-lived. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll be here, but I'm, my mind's going to be elsewhere. You know, I'll just kind of sit around daydreaming about being back in Jerusalem, remembering the good old days. Um, you know, I'll keep up with my, my friends, you know, on, on Facebook or, or Instagram, see how those who aren't in exile are, are living. You know, can't, can't wait to, to get back there. Whatever they could do to, to take their mind off their, their present Reality, isn't that an incredible temptation for our, our, the culture that we, we live in today? While we can be physically, physically, physically present, tongue twister, so easy for our minds to, to be elsewhere. Our screens are, are constantly transporting us to, to different places from, from where we, we actually are. And yet what God is saying here is he's saying be present be fully where I have you. Remember a, a few years ago being at a, a conference um, where the, the theme of the conference was reaching Philadelphia together for the gospel. And a um, bunch of different pastors and churches were part of this conference. And the, the main speaker was a, a man who'd been in ministry in Philadelphia for over 50 years. Literally walked and prayed over every block in Philadelphia uh, this is a man who has studied our city, who's sought to, to really think through how to strategically bring the gospel most effectively 
to our city. He's written books on this. He actually had an organization that was helping churches to figure out how to, to do this. And there was a question and answer time at the end, and, and pastors were asking different questions. And one of the questions was just, all right, well, how do we do this? What's the, the most effective way to reach our, our city with the gospel? His answer was so simple, so, so practical. He said, hang out on the block. Right? Be with people in your neighborhood. Spend time talking with them. Get to know them. And then just do this for the long haul. Similar to what the, the Lord is telling his people to do here. Notice, notice all the, the things that, that God is telling his people to do. What, what is the one thing they all have in common? They take time, right? Building a house and living in it takes time. Planting and tending gardens take time. Raising kids, having grandkids, that certainly takes time. All these things take time. Taking root in a city takes time. God had called them to, to be there for the long haul. That's what will bring good to the city that they find themselves in. Pastor John Dennis, speaking on the importance of, of having this, this long-term vision, said the following. He said, but more than just sufficient housing, cities need residents who make a long-term radical communal investment there. Our cities are filled with wandering urbanites, and if we, like them, are just passing through, there's a tendency to think, I'll just get what I can out of the city, use it for what I need, and move on. There's that, that tourist mentality. So we become consumers, not contributors. That's not what God calls his people to do. They invest. Friends, God has called us to invest our lives for the good of the city he has called us to. And, and to do this in this radically ordinary way by, by growing deep roots, to be present to do this over the long haul, to be knit into the fabric of our community. Which leads us to our, our third and final point. Point number three, we are called to live for the good of where God has placed us. We are called to live for the good of where God has placed us. Look with me again at verse seven. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word welfare that's used here is the Hebrew word shalom. It's a word you may be familiar with. Oftentimes, when it's translated in English, it's translated as peace. Um, but shalom is one of those words that's incredibly difficult to, to translate to just one English word. It's really a, an idea. Sometimes the word is translated welfare or prosperity, or, or well-being, or, or good. The, the idea of shalom is complete well-being. It's, it's wholeness, and it's not just spiritual, it's, it's multidimensional. It's physical, it's psychological, it's social, it's spiritual. It's, it's complete flourishing. It's all things in harmony with one another. We're called to seek this for our city, to seek our city's complete flourishing, it's wholeness. So what does this look like practically? As, as Christians, I think we often can take one of, of two approaches uh, in how we, we go about seeking our, our city's well-being. You would have some that take what, what we can kind of call the preach the gospel and if necessary, use words approach. 
Um, you may have, have, have heard that saying before. It's attributed to Francis of Assisi, although he actually never really said it. It's amazing how things get attributed to people that they actually never really said. The idea behind it is, is we're going to serve our neighbor's physical needs and be a light through our actions, but you really got to be careful about sharing the gospel. We, we want to be careful not to, to offend anyone. But what happens is often the gospel doesn't get shared, right? It gets pushed off to, to the side. And, and the reality is it really is necessary to use words to share the gospel. It says in Romans 10:14, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? On the other side of things, you have those who take the, the approach that, well, what's most important is, is that people hear the gospel so we want to be careful not to get caught up in all those other things. People's eternal destinies are, are what's most important. So therefore, if, if thinking about meeting people's physical needs is just not important, we, we need to focus on what is most important. Because of that, we're, we're, we're not going to seek to meet our neighbor's other needs. And while there, there, there is some truth in, in both of these approaches, right? There, the gospel is 100% what is most important. And, and, and we do want to serve our neighbors in a winsome way without needlessly offending them. But we here, friends, see, we are called to seek the shalom of, of the city in this multi-dimensional way, to, to love our neighbors by seeking their, their complete welfare, their good in the areas in spiritual, physical, psychological, social. If our neighbors don't think we care about their, their physical well-being, will they care to listen to us when we talk about their, their spiritual well-being. Now they're, they're going to feel like they're, they're projects, right? They're like we don't really love them. This is what James talks about in uh, Ch James chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, when he asks the question, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? Right, the, this literally would have been telling someone to go in shalom, right? Go in peace, go in shalom. But, but we can't wish our neighbors shalom if we're not willing to do anything to help bring it about. See, can't seek to serve them with just our words. We must seek to serve them in word and deed. We're called to be those that because of the gospel live out a, a life of, of good works as we, we love our neighbors as our, ourselves. I sure hope if I'm hungry, someone will, will love me enough to, to feed me. Titus 2.14, we, we, we see this in Scripture. Titus 2.14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? He came to save and he also came to send out people that are, are zealous for good works. Titus 3.14 says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. We're called to be those that are devoted and, and zealous for the, the good of our neighbors. Now on the, the flip side, if we're seeking to love our neighbors, are, are we really loving them if, if we don't share the hope of the gospel with them? Are, are, we, are we really seeking their complete shalom if we're not also seeking their, their spiritual well-being? Well, that's, that's, that's not loving either. If we truly believe what the Bible teaches, that, that sin has brought death 
and darkness and destruction and, and God's judgment in this world, and, and we don't point them to the source of life and forgiveness, how, how is that loving? We need to seek our, our neighbor's shalom in all areas. Just recently reminded of a, a church I think provides us a, a wonderful example of what loving our city like this looks like. Um, I've, I've shared this example before, but it's such a, a compelling example. I want to share it again. Uh, this particular church found itself in London in the, the latter half of the, the 19th century during the Industrial Revolution. During this time, people were leaving their towns and, and villages and, and flocking to London in, in search of, of work. But the, the problem was, as people poured into London, really the, the city's infrastructure wasn't built to, to handle all these, these new people, and, and, and things quickly start to spiral out of control. Crime start to increase, people start to panic, poverty was at an all-time high. Uh, and, and, and at that point, many of the churches in the city decided, you know what, I, I think it's time to, to get out of the city. Let, let's leave, or at least let's move to the, the outskirts of the, the city. Things are just starting to, to get too bad. But one of the churches decided leaving the city wasn't what God had called them to do. God had them in this place for a reason, for a purpose. Metropolitan Tabernacle was pastored by a man named Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, decided, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to stay here. We, we see this as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. They looked at the needs of the city and sought to bring healing where they, they saw brokenness. As many were out of work, they sought to help those who had lost their jobs and needed time to get back on their feet by providing housing for them. The city was overrun with orphans, so the, the church went to work creating an orphanage where thousands of, of orphans were cared for and educated in a loving family environment. Homes were created for single mothers, and, and even they were helped to, to find work. Now, when, when you hear this, you might be thinking, well, you know, did this church just kind of become a, a social gospel type church? But unless you think that's the case, I can assure you it was far from that. School for Pastors was started, providing scholarships for pastors who didn't have the means. In London alone, 18 new churches were planted by these pastors. Ten other churches that were close to shutting their doors were revitalized as pastors from that school were sent to these churches. Thousands of people who had never attended a church were coming out each Sunday to hear the gospel preached. So much so that at one point they had to ask the members, can you take one Sunday off and not show up one Sunday a month so that there's room for all the people that are coming so they could hear the gospel. Thousands of people came to know Jesus to experience the shalom that is found in Jesus said of this church that if at any time during, during this crisis that the, the city was facing, that they closed their doors, the, the city of London would have been crippled. So intertwined in the, in the life of the city was, was this church that the, the city would have mourned its absence. Friends, I, I pray that we would continue to seek to be such a church. A church that, that seeks the, the well-being of this, this place that the Lord has sent us. Friends, as we do this and we, we see the, the brokenness around us, let's pray. Right? To, to love our city as, as God has called us to, let's pray for our city. We, we see this in verse 7. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Let's pray, Lord, show us how to seek the good of our neighbors. Show us the the brokenness in our, our neighborhoods and how we can be used to bring shalom to these places. We've seen the, the Lord in our history answer these, these types of prayers. Remember when we, we first moved here to the neighborhood, I was talking with one of my neighbors early on. He found out we were starting a church, and, and he made the comment. He said, you know, there, there are a lot of people really struggling with addiction in the neighborhood. It would be great if you guys could help them. This was someone who, who essentially had lost his, his wife to addiction. At, at that time, that wasn't on our radar as, as a church, yet as we became part of the, the neighborhood and, and experienced this, we, we saw the need, right? We started to pray, Lord, would you help us to do something about the brokenness we see around us? Would you supply people and resources to, to help with, with the well-being of our, our neighbors in, in this way? And, and the Lord opened the doors to start transformation to recovery. Grateful for the impact TTR has had in our neighborhood. Last year, the city recognized it gave an award for the most impactful faith-based recovery center in our, our city. Praise God. God delights to answer these types of prayers. See, the, the Lord, we've, we've seen him do this in other ways, right? Through our ongoing after-school tutoring, through the, the food distribution during COVID. As we pray, Lord, help us serve the needs of our, our neighbors. The, the, the Lord is delighted to, to answer those prayers. Friends, let, let us continue pray for this on a a daily basis let's continue to pray for our city friends notice the promise that's given here as we seek the welfare of the city in verse 7 we are promised in its welfare we will find our welfare as our heart is knit to our city when our city experiences good we're blessed right we we care about this city so much that when it does well we rejoice. And, and friends, in closing, isn't that what we see in the heart of Christ? Right? The, the one who bound himself to us for our good. The one who, we're told, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And, and, and what was his joy? It was our joy. Right? It was our salvation. So we pray for and consider how we can be used by the Lord to bring shalom to the, the city. Let us look to and remember the one who has brought shalom to us. As we saw earlier, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He was, he was sent by the Father. John 1.14 says, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there literally means tabernacled among us. He set up his home among us. He became one of us. He moved into the neighborhood. He grew roots. He invested his life for his people. Sought to serve us and bring us shalom, even suffering in our place for our good. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, brought us shalom. By his wounds, we are healed. Friends, we can live on mission out of love for our city because Christ lived on mission out of love for us. Because he sought our welfare, we don't have to be concerned with our own welfare, but we're freed by him to seek the welfare of the city we find ourselves in. 
May we experience the shalom of God as we seek the shalom of our city. Let's pray.